0: This is the Gender Card Podcast from Griffith University's Gender Equality Research Network. I'm Nance Haxton and together we will speak to the vanguard of remarkable researchers breaking down the issues of gender equality, women's leadership and gender inclusivity in all realms of life. Hidden in plain sight, While many people think slavery and human trafficking are vestiges of a long distant past found only in movies and books, the reality is every year thousands of men, women and children are exploited by traffickers. In 2018, more than 50,000 people were bought and sold in 148 countries around the world. Many of those are from Southeast Asia, but it is by far not the only region where humans are trafficked for money. And in Australia, despite recent federal legislation aimed at curbing the practice, it's a problem that's not going away. The United Nations has declared July 30 as World Anti-Trafficking Day to shed light on this practice and increase worldwide efforts to shut it down women are the main targets making up almost half of all victims of human trafficking while almost a fifth of victims are young girls most of them are trafficked for sexual exploitation or forced labor today on the gender card we speak to three experts in this field all of whom have worked with trafficking survivors to try and end the cycle of abuse with trauma-informed recovery care and they gave tips for us on how to spot trafficking and what to do about it if you do.
1: Kate Van Vandor and I'm a
2: member of the Griffith yeah. Equality, Equality Research, Research Network, Network and the Deputy Head of the Law School. And I'm Chantelle Brown. I'm from Australia Red Cross and I'm a Client Practice Advisor in our Support for Trafficked People program.
3: And I'm Kate Davis and I'm the Queensland Team Lead for the Freedom Hub. Thank you all for joining us
0: today for this special edition of The Gender Card. Thanks for having us, Nance. This is a very special edition for World Anti-Trafficking Day. I think that really many people might be surprised to hear that this is still a problem in this modern day. I think there's still an attitude that slavery is something from the long distant past. Is that something that you find, Kate Bendall? Absolutely.
1: I think that people are really surprised to hear that slavery is still an issue. And they're used to thinking of slavery in terms like when we watch movies and things and that old slavery of Africans brought to America and, and that kind of connotation. But people are really stunned to know that slavery continues today, particularly in our region, Southeast Asian kind of region, and in Australia, in all sorts of sectors, so, you know, that's why it's so important to raise public awareness and, and keep the momentum
0: going. So this will be a, a good day to really highlight that. What sort of work have uh, you got planned? So it's a day when the all-world organisations
1: working in anti-trafficking and anti-slavery come together and um, really raise public awareness. That's their aim. And usually there's a focus each year. Um, this year it's on the Survivor and Survivor Voices And, you know, it's really important that we hear from people who've experienced slavery or trafficking in the past and and their ideas for what we can do to resolve the
0: issue. Kate Davis, can you tell us a bit about the work that you've been doing? You've just come back to Australia, but you've been working in this space really for a long time. And I think that the the stories of really on the ground, uh, I think, are quite enlightening for, for people of the extent of this problem.
3: Yes, I worked for six years in China and then four and a half years in Myanmar and really just seeing how vulnerable people can be exploited. We worked with uh, women who have been trafficked into sexual exploitation. But in those countries, we also really saw a lot of uh, men and women trafficked uh, for labour, trafficked into factories, trafficked for forced marriage across into other borders to other countries. Yeah, and I think coming home, it's been really, really cool to to work in Australia now and to say, hey, actually, although two-thirds of the slaves that are found in the world are in Southeast Asia, there is people in slavery in Australia as well. And so to really just highlight that and for people to start to become aware of what that looks like and how to report it.
0: So it's really, yes, those two aspects. It's not just something that happens overseas far away. There's also problems within our country as well.
3: Yeah. And I think what what's really exciting is the work that we're doing is we exist to help slavery survivors here in Australia, and particularly ones that have experienced slavery in Australia and people don't really know that happens. And we help them with wraparound long-term care to provide them with a new, a new empowerment and a new sort of future that they can start to have here in Australia. Yeah. And so we've really worked with communities to, to share that and to allow people to understand what slavery looks like and how to report it.
0: Well, what does slavery look like in Australia
3: for the people who are still quite shocked that this is such a a problem here. Yeah, so as Kate said, I think it's really hidden in plain sight and so you don't really know what to look for sometimes. But often... It's someone coming across from another country, not really understanding their uh, rights. And so when they get here, their recruitment agent will offer to take their visa to help them, take their passport to help them get a new right visa. And then what happens is they're put into a workplace where they're not paid fair wages or any wages at all. Sometimes their accommodation is really substandard. Lots of people in one room and yeah, no free time, not freedom, no freedom to be able to, to leave. And so it's, it often is a tip off from a community member or a social worker or someone that says, hey, this isn't right. And a lot of the time from the countries that they come from, there's not a, a trust in the law. And so there's a lot of uh, manipulation from captors to say, well, if you leave, the police will get you a lot of fear. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, we have a great law system, but these people often don't trust it. So.
0: And what about for yourself, Chantel? Can you tell us what uh, the Red Cross is doing in this space as well?
2: Yeah, so Red Cross has been working in this space for over 11 years now and we support survivors of human trafficking. We have the Support for Trafficked People program, which is a program that is part of the whole of government response within Australia and we um, therefore look after the survivors in their well-being. We're able to connect them in with um, mental health services, with physical health services and to to support them on their recovery journey and that can can look different for uh, different people and when we can support them to get into education employment and to to rebuild their lives
0: and has that been a, a difficult journey for you over that time I mean it's a long time to be working in a pretty challenging space
2: yeah, so I've, I've been working directly in human trafficking for three years now and I myself started as a caseworker and now have been working in, a, in our national team overseeing and supporting caseworkers throughout Australia and it can be very tough it can be also mm-hmm. very re- rewarding i've i've seen how resilient people in these situations have become and it's it's inspiring kate you also mentioned that sometimes these horrific
0: experiences that people have gone through if if they are given that right help and that intervention they can become incredible entrepreneurs that they can put this this energy and this this survival instinct into into beneficial areas
3: yeah i think we've really recognized that you need a lot of trauma informed care there is a huge amount of trauma when someone experiences trafficking or slavery there's a lot of identity crushing and i think it's a long road to be able to rebuild confidence especially if someone's come from another country and they don't perhaps speak English very well, they don't understand even the simple things that you need to do to survive here in Australia. Yeah, at the Freedom Hub, we provide that long-term wraparound trauma-informed care and we provide really simple classes in, like, Australian culture and how to buy a bus ticket sometimes and what to what to do when you go to the bank. Like, because these are such different cultural experiences sometimes that people, people need to learn how to do and just to rebuild that confidence to be able to go out into society and that trauma-informed care to help them get to a place where they're comfortable to go to TAFE or go to university or because that's a massive jump.
0: And I imagine that, that that isolation that you would have if you don't even know how to buy a bus ticket, that feeds into this problem and makes you more vulnerable to trafficking.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think, well, often... I've seen in my work overseas as well that if people don't have that trauma-informed care, there's a 60% chance we see that they get re-trafficked, that they go back into debt bondage, that something happens that puts them back into a really vulnerable state. But once they've had that trauma-informed care and they they recognise that they are confident and capable people, then they fly and Kate Van Door, it was interesting hearing the parallels between yourself
0: and with uh, Kate Davis's work that you've seen, really, with your work with child orphanages.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, Kate and I were having a really interesting discussion before about the commonalities between people who've been trafficking victims in the past, and if they haven't received that trauma-informed care that Kate was talking about, the outcomes for those people, which we know are uh, quite bad, but one of the outcomes is that they can become involved in the trafficking process themselves, and they can repeat the experience that they experienced, perhaps as a child or as a young adult and they become you know part of that trafficking network so it's really critical that when people are removed from situations of trafficking and slavery that they receive that appropriate care and that it's not just a kind of a one-off and they get their bus ticket home and with, you know, this, like, you're free now, off you go, but that they work through the trauma, they have those life skills that Kate was talking about really embedded and then they're able to make something really worthy of themselves and their life rather than, you know, repeating the same experience. And that's something that you can't blame a, a trafficking victim or survivor for I'm doing because if they're not provided with that care, then that is the outcome. That's you know, all they've that's known. That's all they've known. Exactly. And so they go back. Absolutely. And we see that sort in. of.
0: It's incredibly sad. That's right. Behaviour,
1: mm. you know, pattern in many
0: areas, not just in trafficking, but in parenting and all sorts of things. How do you apply that on the ground in a place like Nepal where you're working a lot in that child orphanage space? And and could you explain too, I think, for people who don't understand that link between trafficking and child orphanages?
1: So we work in Nepal, Uganda and India and our specific work is in removing children from orphanages. So orphanages in some of these countries, not just those countries but many countries across Southeast Asia and across the African continent have become quite a lucrative business model They recruit children in order to meet the international funding that's provided and also volunteers who want to come and visit from countries like Australia and then pay money to volunteer. So there's a nice little income stream that comes along with volunteering as well as all of the very kind donations that people give. And there's some, I suppose, people who have sought to take advantage of that situation and create orphanages which aren't actually providing good care for children. So there's that link from places like Australia where we're sending money and we're sending visitors and volunteers to orphanages which then encourages this form of child trafficking called orphanage trafficking. And the way that ties into then trauma-informed care is when those children are removed from the orphanages and they're taken to somewhere like Forget Me Not, which is the organisation that I work with, they're provided with that really intensive counseling and social work and just not just the child is provided with that but the family is found and the family is also provided with that with the ultimate aim of reunifying that family and having that child reintegrated successfully into the community and that's not something that happens overnight that takes a good few months or sometimes even longer And when the child returns home, there's a continued monitoring for at least three years, if not longer, depending on the case. Mm -hmm. So that's really all of that sort of trauma-informed care that Kate's talking about is provided to that child. Because we've seen children who have come through that situation, who have been removed from an orphanage perhaps, and just sent home to the family, not provided with the adequate care, that they then have become recruiters in the system themselves, and they've taken children to these orphanages. So we've got a current case on foot at the, at the moment actually of a girl who's in her early 20s who was recruited into an orphanage as a child, was subsequently rescued, kind of in inverted commas, returned to family without any monitoring, follow-up, any appropriate care, and then was recruited herself as a recruiter to collect children and bring them to an orphanage, which kept children in a really dire situation and now has been charged with trafficking herself. So that's what can happen if the appropriate care is not provided.
0: I imagine the family would need support to readjust to life as well with their child they've been reunited with.
1: Yeah, often the family needs intensive support. Um, Sometimes that involves money. Sometimes that involves paying for medical care and educational care and upskilling the family perhaps, not just in the things we would normally think about, like vocational skills so they can earn an income, but also in parenting skills. Um, so that they can raise their their children appropriately, and you know the aim really is to keep those families together because a strong family unit is one of the key prevention tactics for trafficking.
0: Kate Davis, do you find it's similar issues in Australia, or it sounds like it could be quite different because isolation
3: is the key to what's what's happening? From what you've said, in all situations, vulnerability is what is what happens. So I think when someone's vulnerable, freedom's really easily able to be taken. When you're vulnerable, we see overseas here, your ability to be fed false dreams is very, very easy. So often, if you're in a country where there is a government that's maybe not very Um, effective. There's police that have a lot of corruption. There's poverty. You're in a poor family and maybe grandma gets sick. What happens is you don't have free medical care. So grandma gets sick. You've got to get money to help grandma go to the hospital. And then what happens is maybe there's a debt collector that comes and says like, hey, I can loan you that money. And maybe it's a hundred dollars, which is a month's salary. And you borrow that money at a really high interest rate because you don't really understand and you just need to make sure grandma doesn't die. And so then what happens is then that same debt collector comes back and says, well, you can't pay back the debt, but I've got this really good job for you in this other country. And so I can pay you that money straight away. Grandma's fine. You'll go overseas. You'll be sending money back really, really easily back here and it'll be wonderful. And of course, you want to believe that because you're in a really struggling situation. And so what happens is you jump on that plane, you go back to Australia your visa's provided for you and you're stuck in a place where you can't go home.
0: Chantel, is that what the Red Cross is finding on the ground as well when trying to to intervene in these trafficking situations and help people to get out of them?
2: Yeah, so I, I would say you know, that is one form of, of how someone can, can come to be trafficked, but there is other ways as well. People can come to Australia by um, means of their own and can find themselves in a predicament where they're needing to, to take on vicarious-looking work or, or work that is is um, a, a grey area and then um, slowly that may change and that changes into a situation where they are exploited. And we, we are also seeing a large number of forced marriage. We're supporting people in that situation as well.
0: Oh, truly. So even now in what we think is a modern society in Australia, forced marriage is, still exists. Still, a, It's still a big problem.
2: Yes, and it, it's something that I, I think the government is trying heavily to, to create awareness around and they, they've run a number of campaigns and putting awareness flyers in the airports and things like that. And now with COVID, it has stopped predominantly women, but there is also men who are a part of this cohort taken overseas. However, people are still um, forced into marriage right here in Australia.
0: And this is also happening in perhaps in sectors that people wouldn't expect. Uh, perhaps, could you mm. tell us about that? Like it's not just perhaps yeah. the cliched places where we expect people to be trained. Yeah,
2: there's definitely many cliched places which uh, I don't even need to list here because you, <laughs> you know them. But it's really every sector, every sector that you can think of. We, we have come across um, exploitation. So IT, construction, uh, restaurants... Uh, there, there really isn't a field that's that's not untouched by by trafficking. And
0: agriculture can be a, a place where people are taken advantage of as well. It,
2: definitely, and I, and I think agriculture is is probably one that is well known, along with massage parlors and and places like that. But um, it really is far reaching, and and I think we need to look for indicators rather than just looking at the sector itself.
0: I mean, it. You'd think this is you need a high level of education to be an expert I mean, in it, it, but
2: people are. Still vulnerable, even there, mm-hmm. and and some of the people that are taking a initiative are very high level and very well educated. So it it's yeah not immune. So what are those alarm
0: factors that make you go? this is looking like something we need to investigate. It sounds like that passport, the, the actual passport being taken off you or being tampered with in some way is a bit of a red flag.
2: Definitely. Also, if, if you come across someone that is always accompanied by someone else, they may be fearful to speak to authorities or maybe when when addressed, someone actually replies for them. Another indicator uh, would be that they're living at the place where they're working. Also, if you see that people have injuries, um, physical injuries. Yeah, but there is is quite a few indicators which, by themselves, um, doesn't mean... That someone is trafficked, but there are indicators to look and inquire further.
0: And it sounds like us as members of the public, we really should be taking responsibility for that as well, that that if we're a bit suspicious, that, well, what do we do? Well, what's the next step?
2: Definitely. And and I think um, if someone was to disclose to you that you always need to be led by that person, that person knows their situation better than anyone else. And at times, maybe it's reporting or, or taking um, things that might put them in jeopardy. So the best thing to do would be to let them know of their rights here in Australia, and let them know that there is support, and to ask them would they like to to um, for you to support them to to find that support.
0: Is this where the the modern Slavery Act comes in too, Kate. I mean, has this helped this situation? I, I think it, it was brought in with with quite a lot of publicity in two thousand seventeen. But uh, what's what's happened since then? Has it improved the situation?
1: I think the introduction of the modern slavery Act in Australia has really helped raise public awareness that modern slavery still exists in Australia. I think the last estimates were that there were fifteen thousand people in Australia living in a situation of modern slavery, which I think is quite surprising. It's quite Quite a surprising figure for a country that largely would consider, if you spoke to the public, that slavery is a a historic issue that doesn't continue to this day. Um, The Modern Slavery Act in Australia is mostly focused on regulating supply chains, so it's a reporting act where companies that have a revenue of over $100 million need to report on what they're doing to assess and mitigate the risk of modern slavery in their supply chains. And that is quite onerous for those companies that fall under that. But $100 million, of course, is quite a high threshold. So there's a lot of companies under that revenue um, that aren't required to report. But what we are seeing encouragingly is many companies choosing to voluntarily report and companies really seeking to get on the front foot and be proactive in how they're responding to modern slavery. So even if they're not legally required to, they're starting to look at that, and that is largely consumer-driven because consumers have this public awareness now, which is, you know, in part caused by that act being introduced, but also the campaigning of, you know, some of these great organisations as well. Um, And then the consumers put pressure on the suppliers. Definitely.
0: I've seen some pretty good social media uh, awareness campaigns in that in that area, um, asking directly to companies where they're uh, actually buying their uh, work from and how do, they, how, how do they guarantee there's not slaves involved?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, at Easter, you see that classic one about chocolate come every year. There's been um, really successful campaign, campaigns on coffee. But there's also been um, some great... Um, initiatives that have been led in relation to the fashion industry. So there's a fashion report that's done every year which people can check where they buy their clothes from and how well they rank. So there's just this increase in consumer
0: awareness, I think, and that, as we know, just drives what companies do. And uh, Kate Davis, I imagine there's not many companies you'd be dealing with in that hundred million dollars sphere. So in some ways, the the Modern Slavery Act isn't a great help for the work on the ground, is it? With are you mainly finding uh, that your work is in a lot of smaller little organisations, or
3: we have both actually. Really? We have um, with the large companies. What we're seeing is that they're coming to the Freedom Hub because they know that we deal with survivors right here in Australia, and that's a really tangible thing for companies to be able to do their remediation. So what they're able to do is to they're, they're able to say, we will fund a survivor's education through the Freedom Hub. We'll provide the data that's needed for them to get online and do our online courses at the survivor school. We have companies that will uh, pay the rent for our social enterprise that we run that funds a lot of the programs that we that we do. So we've got a cafe and we've got an event space that we that we run down in Sydney. And we've got... Uh, companies that want to pay that so that then we can use all of our profits to help our survivors here in Australia. Yeah, and we have the the smaller companies really just wanting to, as Kate was saying, like get their foot in the door and show consumers that they are a really forward-thinking company that really wants to make sure that that slavery doesn't exist in their supply chains. And what also that does is allows them to go to the bigger companies and say, our supply chains are clean, we can provide for you... And then that ticks the larger companies' boxes as well. So it's this really cool knock-on effect from the million-dollar companies to come down to these suppliers that are now going back up to them.
0: And for the public who who might be suspicious or think that they they know someone who's being taken advantage of, is something like the Freedom Hub, they could ring up for advice in that situation as well?
3: Yeah, we have a hotline that you can call up and then from there we will work with those survivors and we'll say, hey, we'll come alongside you, we will provide the support that you need. And then when you're ready to report to the police or if that's something that's appropriate, we'll help them to report up as well. Because with trauma sometimes that's a really, really scary thing to, to do. And as Chantel was saying, it sometimes puts them in more danger. So it's just really making sure that they're safe and then we just take them through those steps. It's like you're an advocate as well at that, at that time for people. Yeah, and I think, and same with the Red Cross, I think it's just a place that is safe and that you can you can feel safe in that place and you can feel supported by all of the things that come around, like your trauma-informed care. Um, and it's really scary to be able to to leave a place not knowing if you're going to be able to even be allowed in the country or to stay in the country. So it's a lot about, like, explaining rights and explaining that we will provide free services to journey along with you and not just for the one month but for as long as you need to be successful here in Australia.
2: Can I add also that Anti-Slavery Australia is a great place for people to reach out also if they would like to know their legal rights here in Australia. Um, They also have My Blue Sky, which is for for young um, people um, who may be at risk of being forced marriage, mm. and and that has an outreach across out, outside of Australia as well, and they have been successful in actually being able to bring young people back from countries outside of Australia um, when when they were left without a passport and without any means to to return to Australia. So there's some some really great work being done there too. It sounds like uh, there's a lot of organisations working together now. I think it might be a
0: good time to talk about QNES, Kate and how you're trying to unite that a bit more
1: as well? Absolutely. So QNAS is the Queensland Network to End Slavery and Trafficking, and it formed in about 2019 with the idea that the local organisations in Queensland and local academics working on slavery and trafficking issues should get together and, you know, think about public awareness locally, think about how we could work together and collaborate together to get the message out, but also just find those tendrils between academia and organisations to kind of bridge that divide a little bit and, um, you know, for a better outcome for survivors overall. So if we can enhance prevention, if we can enhance protection, even amongst us in the ways we work and collaborate together, um, you know, that's... Provides better
0: outcomes overall for everyone, and and really uh, enabling those links between academics and people working on the ground, because I imagine that information flow between both would be really important for policy and, and changes in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I think
1: academics are often called upon by government agencies, particularly when they're writing legislation and policy, and there is the. Um, you know, Modern Slavery Expert Advisory Group now, which, you know, some academics like myself sit on. And so that can form a good bridge of information too to the organisations who are working in the space who might not have that contact with government. But it's also really great for academics to hear what's going on on the ground and then to be able to look at ways that we can work together. Um, So I have a number of great projects, you know, on the go with organisations working in the space that are really fed and led by them, and I just provide the academic expertise that they might need
0: to move forward. So Kate Davis, uh, you've only just come back to Australia relatively recently. I just wonder, do you have hope that there has been progress here? It seems such an overwhelming problem with so many little tendrils that wrap all around the
3: world. Uh, what progress have you seen? I think coming back to Australia and seeing the stuff that the government's trying to do, um, just to raise that awareness is huge. Um, I think the, with with the Red Cross and, and with the Freedom Hub, what we're trying to do is to raise that awareness so that people in the community really know what they're looking for. Um and when, when the Freedom Hub was started, we, we really wanted to provide a space for everyone in the community to be able to respond to this crime, to be able to see it and do something about it, whether that's buying slavery-free coffee, whether that's asking your retail store, do you have slavery in your supply chain, whether it's volunteering to raise awareness in your community with us or with another one of the organisations that's doing this amazing work. I think, yeah, it's just really about creating that awareness and, and in all the countries I've lived in, people don't really know what's happening, even when it's happening right under their noses. And so it's really cool to see that Australia's sort of in the forefront trying to make that change.
0: Yeah, I, I think the Red Cross brought out a really big report just last year. So sort of looking back over that 10 years, uh,
2: Chantel, what sort of progress or changes did that report document? I think that um, report was just- something very new for Australia in that this the data hasn't been able to get out there so people like Kate um, with doing their research are, are really looking to outside of Australia for stats and statistics so Red Cross was was able to release that information publicly in order to to really raise awareness and I and I think like the numbers that we we're, we're speaking on and in there it is predicted that for every one person that comes forth there's there's four people that haven't. So the numbers that you see in there are are, are probably much, much lower than what the reality is. Um, So yes, I I think we are on the forefront in in Australia and we are really trying to combat this and and to end slavery in Australia. But people are vulnerable and and our environments are changing and, and the types of exploitations are changing as well.
0: Well, thank you all for joining us today on the Gender Card. Kate, I was just wondering if if there's anything that you'd like to end with, perhaps, that I haven't asked uh, on this World Anti-Trafficking Day? I guess
1: harking back to Chantel's point about the indicators of trafficking It's always better to speak up if you have a feeling that something's not quite right and talk to the person involved. And if you can't talk to the person involved because, you know, one of those indicators is that they're always with someone and that person is talking for them, then find another way perhaps to get to them or to report that upwards. When we say slavery is hidden in plain sight these days, it's, you know, that's the nature of it. It's very much under the surface, people don't suspect that it's slavery so
3: if you see something say something. Kate would you like to say anything more Chantal as final comments as well? Oh, I just think that yeah if you are passionate about this if it's something that you didn't know existed in Australia and you want to get involved there's lots and lots of ways to do that um, whether that be volunteering whether it be posting on your social media just to create that awareness because it's with that that, that things change.
2: And I would just go to add that if you are looking to report that there is a reporting on the AFP website. Also, you can get in touch with people like Anti-Slavery Australia, check out My Blue Skies website, and feel free to to call Red Cross and um, ask for, for additional information.
0: Well, thank you, Chantal Brown, for the work that you do with the Australian Red Cross and Kate Davis with uh, the Freedom Hub as the Queensland lead. And also to Kate Van Door, thank you so much for joining us all today and raising awareness about uh, the modern slavery and that it's very much, unfortunately, still with us. Thanks, Nance, for having us. Thank you. Thank you. That was Chantelle Brown from the Australian Red Cross Support for Trafficked People Program, the Queensland lead of the Freedom Hub, Kate Davis, and Deputy Head of the Griffith Law School, Dr Kate Van Dor, joining us on this episode of The Gender Card. And that's all for this episode of The Gender Card. This podcast was produced for the Gender Equality Research Network by Nance Haxton, with production assistance from Michael Adams. Stay up to date with this Griffith University podcast on SoundCloud. Speak to you again soon.